an employee for 13 and a half years. Uh, my, uh, our, our, my other co-host is Jill Summerlot, and she'll introduce herself in just a few minutes. But before we get into the webinar, I'd like to um, go through what I call housekeeping issues. If you'll open your question and answer box, you should at the bottom of your screen have a Q&A box. We're asking you to post your questions and comments there. Uh, so that we can uh, see them and hopefully respond to them. We are not using the chat box anymore, so that option is not enabled at this time. An evaluation survey is going to be provided at the, the end of the webinar, and question number six on that survey provides a link to download your certificate of attendance today. So for those of you that are on your computer and viewing this, you should get that certificate and you'll be able to also download your certificate of attendance or survey I should say you should be able to then download your certificate of attendance but if you're calling in by phone you won't have that option so you'll you will need to contact our main office um, at insource at insource.org um, or call us at 800-332-4433 to identify yourself by the end of business day today uh, in order to receive your certificate. So please either email or call and let staff there know that you did attend by phone only. And you'll also have get that opportunity to get that survey and that certificate. Uh, we do have this particular webinar already recorded under our archived webinars and I've provided a link here. But if you go to our website, at insource.org and look on under trainings on the right hand side is a navigating column you'll find a place for archived webinars just for future reference we don't record all of our webinars but we've recorded most of them and so if for future reference if you can't attend the day of the live event at some point there will be a, a link that you will be able to then view uh, the webinar the topic online and of course, you can contact InSource at InSource.org if you have questions. Jill and I do not do certificates, so we're not in a position to answer those questions. So please you know, use that survey link in your, um, or certificate link in your survey, um, or contact our main office at 800-332-4433 uh, and let, let staff know that you have questions or, or concerns and that you did attend the webinar. Okay. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started with our presentation. We're going to be talking today about preparing for your child's special education case conference. This is a particularly timely topic uh, this time of year because it seems like most of our annual case reviews tend to happen in the spring, though they technically could happen through the school year. But for some reason, it seems to me as though the heaviest load tends to fall in the spring. And so we get a lot of questions and, uh, from parents about the conferences and often wanting staff to attend with them. And sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. But since we're a parent training and information center, we're here to provide you with information to help you as a parent to become uh, better prepared and to become a stronger advocate for your child, even as you're attending uh, these, con these conferences on behalf of your child. Okay, need to do a legal disclaimer. This information is for informational or educational purposes only. 
and it does not constitute legal advice. Just general background information on the special education process. We are not attorneys and source is not a legal services agency. And so staff do not provide uh, answers to legal questions. And certainly you have the right as a parent to consult with any competent uh, attorney that might be able to assist you as you uh, try to understand or get answers to specific legal questions or perhaps to, to get some type of guidance. Wanna talk a little bit about InSource, what we do, who we are. We are that parent training and information center or PTI, we, we like our acronyms too. And this is what we do, We're, we provide training, we provide information. We were founded in South Bend by a group of parents that had children with disabilities back in 1975. Uh, federal IDEA law, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, mandates that all states have at least one parent training and information center. Um, and the purpose of, of, of that is to make sure that parents have access to uh, important information about the special education process, that they can get some assistance in navigating that process, and also to help parents to be aware of their rights and their responsibilities in this process. We are, because it's required by the federal law, every state has one of us, and so therefore we're part of a national network and our services are free to parents. Our funding is through the Indiana Department of Education and the United States Special or Office of Special Education. There are many ways that we provide assistance to not just parents, but to, to schools, to others that have need of information that we might be able to share with them. And we do this through regional offices throughout the state. We have staff that cover every state or every county in the state, though most of us are covering multiple counties at the same time, but we're relatively local. So we get to know school, uh, school staff. We get to know some of those principals and the special ed education directors and some of those other folks that work and interact with our children on a regular basis. And it helps us to help the parent to develop a, a better, hopefully a better working relationship with the school. We provide a lot of phone assistance. I spend a great deal of time on the phone as does Jill and I think all of my, my other uh, coworkers as well. We do spend a lot of time on the phone. And um, we also provide training classes, such as what we're doing now. Jill and I do the webinars for our families throughout the state for InSource. We do sometimes attend case conference meetings to try to assist families and be that bridge between parents and, and schools and helping the parents to better understand what might be happening at their particular meeting. And we also have a really, really great resource, our website, insource.org. A lot of great written resources and publications there. What I'm really proud of are our online trainings and, and classes. We've actually got trainings that we've recorded that you can view in the, in, in, at your own convenience at, at home. 
on lots and lots and lots of different topics. And I promise if you go and you start looking at these general trainings, I'm pretty sure one or two or three or more of these, of, of these trainings might pique your interest. And you can, of course, view those for free. And as I mentioned earlier, we do have those archived webinars that you can view. If you can't make the, the live webinar, you can always watch previously recorded uh, version of it. We also have a, a calendar of training events on our website so you can see what trainings might be offered throughout the state, hopefully one in your area sometime soon. And, and we also have our staff list there as well. If you scroll to the bottom of the, the main page, there's a staff directory and you can look up the person that's, that covers your county there. And if you can't access that information there, you can contact insource at insource.org or call the toll-free number and ask who the staff person is that serves your particular county. We want you to, to have access to somebody if you've got questions. But again, check out our, our uh, website. We've got a lot of great resources there. Sometimes you can get your questions answered there as well. But we want to uh, um, help parents to understand their educational rights and their responsibilities. Again, providing information about the special education process, help families and schools to work together to develop a more positive working relationship. And then what I think is probably the most important role is helping parents and students to become more effective advocates because you as a parent know your child better than anyone else. Your child will learn about themselves as well. And no one can speak better for their child than the parent or for the, the student themselves. So that's, those are things that we are hoping to accomplish in our work with InSource. But let's talk a little bit today about um, how parents are involved in the special education process, because you are, parents have a place at the table, the same as everyone else, and so do students actually as well. We're gonna talk a little bit about what is a case conference, and that may sound silly because there's a good chance you've probably attended many case conferences by now. Maybe this is new to you, and this will be all new information, but chances are you've probably been to some but I believe that we always have information that perhaps parents aren't aware of. Um, and so I think we can maybe expand your knowledge and understanding of this process through this training. Then we're going to talk about specific steps that parents can take in preparing to attend a case conference. We often plan to go to see a doctor or some other entity and it's not unusual to make a list of the questions and concerns that we have to take and to get those, to ask them and then to get those answers. It's no different in special education. Parents, there are, there are specific steps that you can take um, to prepare ahead of time and to hopefully get your questions answered at your meeting. We're gonna talk a little bit about communication and coping skills because when you get down to it, without good communication, you often don't get good results. And so learning how to communicate and, and working on some of those coping skills when, when you're not necessarily getting the answer that you wanted, you know, how to handle that appropriately can be really important. And then of course, what happens when parents and schools disagree? 
I wish I could say that this rarely happens, but that is not the case. And so the law does provide for specific steps that parents and schools can take to work through some of those differences. Some of them are very informal. Some of them are very formal. And so we'll, we'll just take a brief look at what some of those steps might, might be to try to get those differences resolved. If you've been to any case conference meetings at all, you've probably heard of something called procedural safeguards. Generally, the school will offer you a copy of, this, of these procedural safeguards. It's usually in a booklet form, and it's often many, many pages long, and sometimes it's the, the print is a little small. But to me, this is the heart and soul of the special education law. These are procedures that safeguard the rights of parents and students. And parents, if you don't know what your rights are, then you really don't have any because you don't know what they are. Therefore, you probably will not exercise those. So I always encourage parents when the school offers you this copy and there are specific times that they are required to, though I've noticed most schools will offer it every time you have a meeting, please accept them. And then beyond that, please read them because it summarizes all of those rights that parents and students have and things that you need to be aware of. Also, usually towards the end of this procedural safeguards booklet, there's a list of agencies that parents might contact as resources to help them to either understand the process or to get help in other areas. It can be, this booklet is, it is really got a lot of great information in it for parents. So please don't take it home and file it away. Please sit down and read it. You don't have to read it all in one sitting. It's a long, it's a long book or booklet, but very, very important nonetheless. So please take the time to review it. And so navigating the course, which is what's called the companion guide to Article 7, which is Indiana Special Education Rules, basically defines procedural safeguards as um, well, it says that if they affirm the right of, of students' parents to be fully informed. Well, what does that mean? It means that as a parent, you have the right to know what's going on with your student. You have the right to understand um, the information that the school might be providing as to why they're proposing to offer something to your student, some support or service, or why they're proposing to remove it, or why they're proposing not to offer that support or service, such as an evaluation. You have the right to be fully informed. Um, you have the right to participate in this process. That means that as a parent, you have a right to sit at that table as an equal member of the team. As you develop the individualized education program, the components of it for your student, you have a voice as well as any other member there at, your, at, at the table. As a parent, you have the right to receive something called prior, prior notice, which is being notified before the school changes something about your child's IEP, does some, proposes to do something differently. You must be informed in writing before that happens. And sometimes your written consent is required before that can happen. If it's not required before it can happen, you have the right to disagree with what the school is proposing, but you do have to be told ahead of time 
what the school is proposing to do or not to do. You also have the right to confidentiality. The schools may not share your or your child's record, school records with, with just anyone. There are certain parties that are allowed by law, of course, to access them, but um, they're not, the schools are not allowed to share your school records with you know, just anybody off the street that is to be held in confidence. As a parent, you have the right to review your child's school records. A lot of parents do not know that. Your child, every child that is in school has a school record. Generally, we, I think it's often called a cumulative file or a cum file for short. It may be located in the building in which your child attends school, or it may be located in an administration building. But wherever it is, the parent has the right to contact the building principal and ask for access to those records. You don't get to take them home with you, but you have the right to review them. And typically, you'll, get, you'll be told where you can go. You'll be put in a room with that folder, and you have the right to go through it. You can ask to have uh, records copied, but understand the school can charge a reasonable copying fee. Why would you want to see your child's records? I think you'll find that there are sometimes pieces of information in there that you may not have seen before. There may be disciplinary referrals that perhaps don't get sent home to parents on a regular basis. You might want to see those. Uh, hopefully you've been keeping track of information that comes home from the school, such as re results of iLearn or iRead or NWEA, any of those standardized assessments that schools offer. You want, you want to know that information as well. But it's, it's good to, to go through and review those records, especially prior to a case conference. That way the information is fresh in your memory. If there are some, some pieces of information in that folder that you know you don't have, you can tab it and ask, ask that the school make a copy for you of those pages. Again, they have the right to charge a re reasonable copying fee. So please keep that in mind. And then last but certainly not least, parents have the right to a timely and impartial resolution of disputes. That means when parents and schools disagree, there is a process that needs to happen with generally within a certain amount of time. It can't drag on forever. And it, the process has to be impartial. That means it's not, we're not sitting before somebody that works for this school district who's making decisions um, about what the, that dispute is. So really important to understand there is a process. And as I mentioned earlier, Jill will be kind of um, doing a brief overview of what that process might look like. Again, please post your questions in the question and answer box. If not understanding something that I said, we would be, we'll be happy to, to try to answer that question for you. If you have a, a very, if you have a specific question, you know, for yourself or for your child, if it's very fact specific or maybe very complicated, we may ask you to contact us after the webinar so that we can talk with you personally and at the very least then direct you to staff in your area because we do want your questions to be answered. Okay, anytime a case conference meeting is being, has been scheduled, there's something called notice of a case conference meeting that gets sent out to parents. 
And you've probably seen these before. Um, there are specific items that have to show up in this document and it will specify the, the date of the meeting, the time of the meeting, the place of the meeting. And it's important to understand that these case conference meetings are to be held at a mutually agreed upon day and time. And what that means is um, if the school suggests a, sp a specific date and time and you have to work that day, you know, you can't get off or you've got another appointment, you do have the right to say that date does not work for me. What I always tell my parents is then offer at least two alternative dates and times to the school. It's incredibly difficult to get these case conference meetings scheduled at school because they have to pull in so many different staff who often have conflicting schedules. And so um, if you can propose a couple of dates and times that work for you, the school might be able to make one of those work with all of their people. So be proactive if you know there's a meeting coming up, you know, and you know you're always off on Wednesdays, tell the school, Wednesdays are my good day, I'm off on Wednesdays or Friday mornings, you know, maybe I work afternoons or maybe I work mornings so I'm free in the afternoon. Let your teacher of record know that and try to make it simpler to get a date that works for everybody because I've seen so many times where it's been back and forth for a month trying to come up with, with a date that works for both the parent and the school. And that's way, way, way too long. So be proactive when you can, but understand the date and time have to work, not just for the school, but for the parent as well. There should be a statement about the purpose of the meeting. Is this an annual case review? Is this a meeting that either the school or the parent called because there were concerns about maybe meeting, needing to make some revisions somewhere, either because of academic problems, increasing academic problems, or perhaps increasing behavioral problems. Are we meeting because uh, the student has violated the, um, the student handbook and the school's looking to suspend or expel? That would require, that would require a meeting most likely. And, um, and, and so it, your case conference meeting should indicate the purpose. It'll also state the names and people that are, the school has invited to the school. So you, whoever those people are, you should be looking for those people to be there at your meeting. It should have your name as the parent there as well. And it should include a statement that parents can bring others with them. Parents will often bring family members that are familiar with the student or maybe a family friend or maybe a tutor that they've been working with, maybe a behavioral specialist that the child is seeing on the outside. Maybe they're on the Medicaid waiver and there's some other support staff um, through the waiver that know the child and you believe have specialized knowledge of your child that could help to inform the case conference committee about what your child's needs might be. So you do have the right to, to bring those people. And, and of course you can invite in-source, you can invite staff if, if they're available. So you do, parents do have the right to bring those other people. There are specific members that are required under Article 7, Indiana Special Education Rules, uh, people that need to be there. Parents and students, should, as appropriate, should be at the meeting. But I will tell you, a lot of parents are working parents and, and it's hard to take time off work to go to a case conference. Sometimes you don't get paid for that time. 
Maybe you don't have vacation days. Uh, maybe your boss would frown upon it and your job could be in jeopardy. You know, we understand there are a lot of reasons why parents might not be able to make a particular date or time. Again, that's why it's important to be proactive if you know a meeting needs to get scheduled to offer when you know you might be free, a couple of those dates and times. But if you really truly can't make the meeting, you can ask that it gets scheduled, that, that, that you call in by telephone. You could do that perhaps on your lunch hour so that you can at least listen in and participate that way. It is not ideal, but sometimes that's what has to happen. So parents and students should be there at the meeting if at all possible. There has to be somebody called a public agency representative. This could be a number of people. It could be the building principal. It could be the special ed education director. Uh, you know, it, it could be anybody that has the authority to commit the resources to pay for a particular, to pay for the services that you might write into an IEP because you can write the sweetest IEP in the world, but if that public agency representative isn't there and looks at it later and says, we can't do that, we, we, can't, you know, we can't, can't afford to pay for that, or we, you know, we're not going to do that, I'm not committing those resources, then you kind of wasted your time and you're back at the drawing board again, so to speak. So that public agency representative should be there or somebody that, that the PAR might designate to stand in, but it's important that they have that authority to commit those resources to pay for whatever the, I, whatever the team has decided is appropriate for this student. There should be somebody called the teacher of record. The teacher of record is, is that teacher that is appropriately licensed in your child's particular category of disability, so they would be very knowledgeable about it they uh, about those unique needs and how to teach students with those unique needs um and so they need to be there they're the ones that you're probably going to be working very closely with they can answer questions um, about the iep you can contact them when you have questions or concerns so the teacher of record is very important i see we do have a question and let me let me get through this before i come back to that um, could be a speech language pathologist or a teacher licensed in the area of the suspected disability. If it's only speech, if it's only articulation, um, then, well, not only, but if, if the qualifying category is a speech language disability, then the, the speech language pathologist would be the teacher of record um, in this instance. Okay, let me swing over here to the question. Oops, hang on. What qualifications should the instructional strategist diagnostician have in order to do proper observations and administer cognitive tests? I don't know the specific requirements, though the state will have those. Um, you might be able to go on the DOE website or even contact the school and ask what are what are those qualifications? Clearly, there has to, there have to be some. There would have to be, you know, some type of degree, and you know, maybe more than one degree. I do not personally know what those would be, but just like teachers, in order to serve in whatever role they they're serving in, have to have the state required 
qualifications. So sorry, I, I can't answer that specifically, but um, the Department of Education could probably pro answer that question for you. Or you could shoot an email to the building principal or the special education director um, asking that um, if you have a good relationship. So sorry, I can't really answer that one for you. I don't know. Jill, do you, do you know what the specific um, qualifications would, would be? Generally, we don't dig down into that. No, I have to defer that to generally whenever that question comes up. I defer it to the uh, special education director that's in that area. Yeah, because it, the state would have specific requirements, and so they should be able to either answer it for you or direct you to the Department of Ed's website um, for that particular question or wherever those regs are, <laughs> are housed. That one, I don't know. I have not had that question before, so okay. All right, thanks, Jill. Um, there, another member should be that instructional strategist and Generally, the instructional strategist is somebody that is also often a usually a teacher as well. You'll see that there are many staff that wear more than one hat, so to speak. Um, and so I've often seen that to be the, the teacher of record who is, has that training or that um, certification in that particular area of disability. But it could even be, be the building principal if they're a teacher, and generally they have been. There should be a general education teacher at your meeting as long as your child has at least one class in the general education setting. Some, uh, some of our kids, unfortunately, may not spend any time in any general education class. They may not have art or music or gym in general ed. They really may not have a general education teacher, though I really hope that's not the case. In that case, they don't have to have that general ed teacher, but if they have any classes in general education, that teacher, one of those teachers needs to be present at the meeting because they know your child and they're familiar with them and they should have you know, valuable information to share with the team. And then others with knowledge of the, of the student's needs. So you know, there can be a number of people that that might be at the meeting that can provide insight and reports <laughs> sometimes about our child that can help inform developing that IEP. There are some people that are required to be there, the teacher of record, certainly the instructional strategist or um, the school psychologist that, you know, if, they, if the, an evaluation had been done, um, the, the parent needs to be there, the general education teacher needs to be there if the child has any classes in general ed, uh, they are required to be there. However, there are exceptions. The school must get the parent's consent in writing to excuse a required member's participation um, at the meeting. You know, folks, we wake up with the flu sometimes Maybe there was a case conference that morning, teachers do that too, and maybe that person suddenly can't be there. Um, you should be notified, preferably before the meeting, um, but at any rate, you as a parent have the right to excuse that required person from being at your meeting, but it requires a written consent. Um, and it does kind of specify you can allow that excusal, you know, some of, some of the 
uh, this particular member's area of curriculum or the related service is not, we're not gonna be talking about that today. Maybe the child has speech, but the issue for today is not speech, it's um, math and you know, poor math scores or whatever the case may be. So maybe the speech language pathologist really doesn't need to be at that particular meeting. Um, but if there's somebody there that is required to be there and we need their input, um, members can submit input in writing prior to the meeting, unless of course they woke up with the flu that morning, they may, may not have anything written out, but hopefully they, they will, they can share that with you know, somebody, another team member who can then read it at the meeting. And, and parent, if you're okay with those, that person not being there, you can sign to excuse them. If you genuinely believe that the meeting is not going to accomplish what it needs to accomplish without that person, you can then ask to let's reschedule when when so and so might be available to attend. So, okay. And then we do sometimes have, uh, and I see this a lot with junior high and high school when kids have multiple teachers, multiple gen ed teachers. Um, they may have, you know, the geography teacher come for a couple minutes and, and share, then the math teacher, then the science teacher, and and so on and so forth and they can present and then go back to, to, to their class. They don't necessarily need to stay for the whole meeting, um, but it's kind of a nice way to get input from everybody that works with the student and hear what their concerns might be and hopefully hear some good things as well. So um, it, it's kind of a nice way to, to get that additional input from others. So we, we've talked about what a case conference is, now we're going to start putting together some pieces um, by, that can help us to kind of visualize how can I prepare? What steps can I take beforehand before I go into this meeting? If you haven't done so already, I would strongly encourage you to kind of keep track of information. They talk about starting a notebook, but we do so much on the computer now you could easily you know, do that in Google Docs or whatever, you know, whatever strategy you like to use for that. But um, start a notebook about conversations, who you talk to. Now we have email, so it's very easy to keep track of conversations back and forth. Uh, I encourage parents to create a, a folder in their email account for that, the, that kind of correspondence when you're talking with, with the school and, you know, discussing certain situations. We talked earlier about reviewing school records. Remember, we talked about procedural safeguards. That's a really, really important right to review your child's records. And I'll just take a moment to go into a little bit more detail. I always encourage parents to make that request to the building principal in writing, just because I think, I think do everything in writing is a good, is a good idea. Uh, you can send it via email, that serves the same purpose. The building principal has 45 calendar days to give you access to your school, your child's school records. And again, not knowing where those records are located, they, they would tell you where. Um, and, and I've never had a problem with schools providing, the, making those records available, not to say it can't happen, but um, up to 45 calendar days again to make it, make them available to you to, to review. And I hope that you will do so because I, I think um, seeing your child from the beginning of school up till the 
to the point that they are right now, just kind of refreshing your memory about their progress or maybe their lack of progress, just getting that fresh in your mind again. And it can sometimes help you to formulate your concerns that you're going to share with the school at your upcoming meeting. Keep track, and I guess I kind of talked about this, keeping track of phone calls or emails or even visits to the school. Who did you talk to? What did you talk about? And again, I, I'm, I like to take notes. I don't remember everything that I talked to or everything that I talk about, I should say, with someone or even necessarily who I talk to. So having that record, you know, chronologically can be very helpful in kind of creating that, um, that pathway for you. What brought me to this point at this meeting with this particular concern? And then organizing your home file. So let's, let's look at what should be in that home file. I did a very, very good job with home files, um, I, I have to say, but I really can't take credit for it because my husband and I were foster parents for many, many years. And that was one of the requirements is educational records, keep track of educational records. So I ended up with this huge you know, three inch or maybe it's larger, I don't know, three ring binder and kept track of everything that I got from the school regarding my children. It could be report cards. It could have been some of those standardized assessments, NWEA scores, later ISTEP scores, um, evaluation reports that the school had done, IEPs. Every time we made a revision to an IEP that needed to go in there, everything in chronological order. And the reason for that is, again, as I'd mentioned earlier, if you kind of go back to the beginning and read your way through, you can kind of see that kind of, kind of graph, if you will, in your own mind, progress or lack of progress. If you happen to notice that the same reading goal, the goal for reading this year was the same as it was last year, that indicates that the, your child did not, make, did not achieve his reading goal from last year. Would that be something that you would have questions about at your meeting? It, it probably should be. Um, you know, may, maybe the goal needs to be written differently, or maybe we need to approach reading a little differently, that specially designed instruction to enable this child to achieve that reading goal. The whole idea is to make progress. And for many of our kids who are behind their peer group in reading and in math and in some of these other areas, ultimately the hope is to narrow that gap, if not close it entirely. And so that's what these goals are set for, to try to improve those scores. And so tracking that information is really, really important. Schools keep lovely records. They truly do. They have fabulous records. We, as parents, kind of don't <laughs> sometimes. And I don't know how else to say that. Um, every now and then I'll run across a parent who is a meticulous uh, uh, home file person, which is, which is wonderful. If you do not keep track of those things, I would strongly encourage you to do so. You're putting your child at a disadvantage if you're not aware of what's written in the IEP as opposed to what was written into, into it last year. Is he making progress? How much progress is he making? Is he falling further behind? And we sometimes don't track that very well. And so when you do see 
falling scores or you have questions about what you're reading from those records, you can share that with your case conference committee and ask them to help you to understand what this means for your child. So very, very important. Samples of homework can be very critical as well. Um, I like to use, use my own personal example of a, my child who as part of the disability really struggled to take notes, could not process the information quickly enough. Handwriting was a very serious, uh, seriously impaired, just really struggled to write. And when he, when he got to junior high, that was one of the requirements for one of the classes and, and it, it wasn't happening. It, he couldn't keep up. So I talked to the teacher of record and said, I don't think this is working. He suggested, this is what the teacher wants. This is what we need to do. So I went and talked to the teacher and, and explained he's not keeping up. He, you know, he can't keep up. He's not getting, getting those notes down. And as any, any good teacher knows, note-taking is really critical for, for, improve, for helping with learning. And it is. It, it absolutely is. But my child could not do it. So I called a case conference meeting and I brought samples of my child's notes. And we all just kind of looked at it and everybody kind of went, oh, because they were illegible. They were meaningless. You know, by the time my son tried to sort of finish one paragraph, the teacher would have been several paragraphs ahead. So we got pre-printed teacher's notes. So just throwing that out there, um, homework samples can be important. Note samples can be important whatever the, that supporting data or evidence is to take to the school to say, this is why I'm concerned about my child. This is what I'm seeing. And if you're not seeing it, I, I want you to see it now. And remember, a lot of the people that are sitting around the table do not work directly with your student. So they don't know what your child sounds like when they're reading. They don't see um, you know, your, your child's math homework. And so sometimes bringing some of those to the table to say, this, this is why I'm concerned about this. It's really a very nice way to say, you know, look, I, I, this isn't just me being mom. This, you know, I, I have a legitimate concern and, and this is why. And it's a great way to share that with the school and with the teachers to kind of underscore what your concern is. If your child's on medication, the school likes to know what those meds are. Um, and, and then if you see an outside therapist or your child does, um, they may be able to make recommendations. And again, they're only recommendations the school, you know, that the team can consider. Doctors will often tell parents, your child needs an IEP. So the parent takes the, that to the school saying, the doctor says, I need an IEP. Well, it's not that simple, is it? Um, and so our outside people can do evaluations and we can share that with the school. The team has to consider that information. They have to consider it. Whether or not it gets adopted into the IEP is a case conference committee decision. But if you've got good outside information that you believe will assist the team in getting a better understanding of your child, as well as helping to inform writing that IEP to address needs that might be hampering your child's ability to learn or to perform well, that's all, that's all good information. It can be very, very helpful. Okay, so I think um, we're going to look at just a few common concerns. Jill's going to be taking over in, in just a moment, but um, 
and I hear lots and lots of concerns and I have to admit, I'm hearing more behavioral concerns um, at this point, but some of the more common concerns that, that we hear from parents is, the school's not following my child's IEP. Well, of course, my question is, how do you know? You have a copy of the IEP and, um, and, and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. So again, going back to that home file, make sure you've got a copy where you can access it right away. How do you know they're not following the IEP if you, you know, haven't read it since you signed off on it, you know, several, several months ago? Um, but maybe it does say certain things are supposed to happen and they're not happening. So we need to, we need to look at that. Are they, because Article 7 says that IEPs are to be followed or implemented as written. And it is in fact a complainable issue if an IEP isn't being followed um, and something is written into it for a child. But that's a pretty common concern. And we kind of walk through, why do you think this isn't happening? How do you know this isn't happening? Or we might hear something such as, my child has an IEP, but they're still not doing well in school. Very, very common. Um, I wish I could say that an IEP would automatically ensure that every child got a straight A. It, it does not. It, it, it doesn't. You know, we try to address the unique needs of the student, providing that specially designed instruction, which is what special education is all about, to meet their unique needs. But there are a number of reasons why kids do well in school and why they, why they don't. But any time a child with an IEP is struggling, that's a case conference committee concern. That's something that the, that the, the team needs to be looking at and trying to get a better understanding of with a view to trying to support that child. Do they need a different reading program? Do they need additional um, instruction in math? Are there programs that will support some of those basic skills that they might be lacking in um, and which, which are causing, you know, grade, you know, poor grades in some of their classes. And then very often kind of going along with point two, still not doing well in school is, you know, the answer to that is I think my child needs more services. Well, they may, they may. That is, of course, a case conference committee decision. And so meeting again to discuss, does, does this child need more services? What might those look like? So um, those concerns, of course, are based on evidence. And I've kind of talked about some of those, like the homework samples or the, the, the writing samples, if you will. So concerns are based on evidence. You know, feelings are nice, but they don't count. You, you need, just like the school, when they have concerns, they're sharing data with parents. This is why we're proposing this placement or this service based on this information. And I encourage parents also to think in terms of providing evidence or data, if you will, to share why you're concerned. My child is still struggling in school. Evidence could definitely be grades. In fact, it's probably the number one, the number one place you would go to. He's mostly making Ds and Fs in math and he has been for three years. That's evidence that something's not working well. And then that homework that I talked about, looking at those local and state assessments, you know, NWEA scores, or I learn now the, those scores. If your child is not gaining and not getting better in those scores or not passing, you need to be keeping track of that because ultimately, you know, those are based on grade level, um, grade level standards. And if your child is failing, I learn, 
that could mean could mean they were sick that day, <laughs> but it could also mean that maybe they're not learning what they need to be learning at that particular time. So again, something to consider for, for your meeting. Parent and teacher observations. You've made your own observations as a parent. Teachers also make observations and, and will often share with parents. And, and you know, teachers you know, and parents should be allies in this. We're, you know, we're all working together for the, for the good of this child. So help me to understand or, and, and support me when we go to these meetings. Is there something we could do differently? Child's, child report. Sometimes kids will tell us, I'm not getting speech. When mom says, well, so what'd you learn in speech? this week and the child says, I, I don't have speech or I didn't have speech. They may and they just don't recognize it for what it is, but maybe some service really isn't being provided, got overlooked somehow. Again, that's a good question to ask, to follow up on. And then I mentioned the fact that outside evaluations need to be considered, but not necessarily adopted by the case conference team as something that will get written into the IEP. So I'm going to turn um, the uh, presentation over to Jill and she's going to pick up with um, Angela's story. We're going to do an activity where you can actually um, practice, if you will, <laughs> uh, you know, developing your list of concerns. And I don't see any questions at this time. You have your screen yep. up. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure. I thought oh, maybe I missed it. Oh my this. goodness. <laughs> <sighs> I'm so sorry. Okay. You know, in my mind, I was actually actually talking. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, um, welcome to uh, welcome to Tuesday. It's definitely Monday. Anyway, I am Jill Summerlot. Um, I'm a regional program specialist with Kathy. Um, I am uh, in the Putnam County and I serve Putnam, Boone, and Hendricks County. Um, and I've been with um, InSource for 18 years. Yeah, um, and I have um, one son who's an adult, he's 22 now. That, um, well, I have three children, but my 22-year-old's uh, the one that actually got me started with InSource. Um, because of his uh, disability. Anyway, this is going to be um, a great opportunity if you guys would like to, um, you know, uh, post in the question and answer box or um, if you want to just um, however you would like to do it. But we're going to talk about Angela's story and we're going to cover what the parents' concerns are and why they're concerned and how the concerns can be addressed. So I am going to actually read you this. This um, is a, the Angela story, and so we're gonna practice identifying those concerns. And so it says, I'm going to, um, it says, uh, hello, I'm Claire, and my daughter Angela is in the sixth grade. I've been very concerned about Angela lately because I've noticed when we are reading together that she reads slowly and confuses words when reading. Teachers have also sent notes home and made notes on her report card about this. I think she may need extra time for reading at school and some extra help as well. Angela often mispronounces words when she reads out loud 
but she can correct herself when she hears it played back to her. So maybe a tape recording would help or extra phonics lesson. Angela also has trouble getting her homework organized. She forgets assignments and can't find paper and pencil. She really appears to not be able to focus. A homework planner may help and maybe an extra set of books at home or a desk organizer. When she does do her homework, I see poor grades and her teachers send home notes about her spelling. I can't remember the last time she passed a spelling test. Can she get extra help with these two? So we're gonna go over some of the parents' concerns. And um, when we go through this, we have a beautiful um, worksheet. It's called a worksheet for concerns. And you should have gotten this in the, in the packet that you were emailed. I highly recommend that if you um, um, are getting ready for a case conference um, or you are just, you know, kind of on the fence or um, you're just having some, some concerns about your own child, pull this out and just start listing them, okay? And, and start with that first column. And so we just went over Angela's story. So we're going to use this, this worksheet. And we're going to go through this. So we're going to list our concerns. Um, so we have the first concern. And that would be Angela reads slowly and confuses words when reading. So now we need to look at what evidence or data um, does the parent have to back this up. And so we know that, that she has the teacher's notes. And even the report cards mention the problem. So we would put that there. In the next column, it's what does the parent suggest might help or to help address the concern? So this would be where your interventions or your accommodations or anything that you would think of that would help for that area of concern to be remedied for you. Um, or um, this is where I, whenever I'm working with parents, let's talk about some of the things that you would like to see that you think that would help. And so in this column, mom has written extra time for reading and reading remediation. So you would put that there. Um, again, this would be, uh, this is just Angela's story, but you are able to take this and utilize it for your own personal use. So in our fourth column, we have um, an agreements reached. So to ensure that um, um, we've talked about this at the case conference or had that conversation, you want to write in there that um, what you've agreed to. So on 316, the teacher agreed to provide Angela with extra help in reading while she's waiting to be assessed. So we completely went from, from the parent being concerned to having, you know, what our evidence is to what we would think would maybe would have be able to help her. Um, and then what agreements we would have. And this document can be even continued like a living document. Um, it's something that um, whenever I was done with, I definitely would put um, with my, in my home file with my child's IEP. So we can move on now. Let's go to the next slide. Um, so again, we're back to that concern, and mom says that she mispronounces words when she's reading aloud. 
And she knows this because when she does have a tape recording of herself, she, she hears it. She, she knows that it's there. And um, she knows when she reads it out loud, she can um, correct herself when she hears it. She hears it played back. So mom really thinks that she needs some extra phonics in, in that area, extra phonics assistance. And you know that it's a blank under agreements reached because maybe mom hasn't had a case conference yet, or maybe she hasn't had a teacher record. You know, it, it's really what, um, how she's utilizing this um, worksheet. And so you can see how this would very much help to, to play out in any of those areas of concern. You know, and, and in, the, in the next column we have that she's having trouble getting organized to do her homework. And we know this how because we do have the evidence because she does forget her assignments. Um, she has difficulty with finding her pencils and her paper and, and she has difficulty even sometimes focusing. So mom thinks that having a homework planner or a, a, some sort of a system to remember those assignments and even an extra set of books or a desk organizer at home. So these are things that mom would suggest or dad. Um, and then the, they had reached an agreement that there would be a homework planner. And um, so that would help her to remember her assignments and that they would be sending an extra set of books at home and that there would be a desk organizer that would be created for her in that space. Um, one of the things that, um, that this, again, this, this worksheet is really great for is as you are going through, maybe you, maybe you have decided that, um, um, maybe you just don't want to reconvene a case conference until the annual case review. This could be an ongoing document, like I said. This is something that you could be able to, to kind of keep going. Um, because you would be able to build that evidence. You know, if you were waiting on those report cards, then you could, you know, like in the evidence on the first, on that first uh, line, then you would be able to say, yep, we know this is becoming an issue because um, we do have this listed in part of the report card. You know, on the fourth line here, we have problems with the spelling um, and doesn't recognize the root words. And we know this because Angela's receiving four grades and she's receiving teacher's notes and her spelling test. And all of these are things that can be checked on either when she receives her report card or if you have a... Um, um, Schoology or if you have any sort of online um, access to those grade books. You see that the part of the intervention is mom is wanting to know if maybe tutoring with spelling would help. And then you see that there was an agreement reached on the third the, on March the 6th to um, have some additional spelling instruction. So in, in, and again you do have a copy of this in your packet that you did get um, sent to you and one side is blank and the other side does have the um, aforementioned slide that you see up here. Oops, I don't see any questions posted but please feel free to post any questions or comments that you have in that question and answer box. So whenever we talk about the final preparations for our case conference, um, so we've already reviewed our child's records and documented um, those areas of concerns. Um, we know that they're gonna be addressed in that upcoming meeting. Um, you, if you don't wanna use that um, uh, 
concerns worksheet, you are more than welcome to, you know, kind of bullet point things. Um, a lot of times whenever I have parents call me, that's what we do. We kind of bullet point everything so that we know when we get to the meeting that we're prepared and um, I can follow along and, and kind of check things off as we go through. Um, so we want to make sure that we have confirmed the date of the time and of the conference. And if for some reason at all that you need to cancel this or reschedule it, please let us know as soon as possible um, and uh, uh, let them know that you'll have to reschedule it. If you, um, not, that, not that I'm saying that you should do your conferences by phone, but if for some reason that a phone conference would work out better, you can always do that too. You want to know how much time is going to be allotted for the meeting because sometimes maybe you have some um, things that you think are going to take a little bit longer. You may need to request a longer meeting if necessary. Um, you always want to make sure the school knows if you're bringing someone and absolutely practice what you want to say. Um, this really is something that, especially if you don't feel like that you um, um, can uh, either talk to a group of people or maybe you feel like that um, you have something that you need to bring up uh, in that questions or those concerns and you, you think it might become, um, uh, um, I don't want to say hostile, but for lack of a better term, that's all I can think of right now. Um, you just, you might want to be able to practice it. I know that I had to do this a lot when I first started with my son because there were some things that I thought were kind of touchy and I just wanted to make sure that they knew I wasn't being confrontational. I just really needed some questions answered. And so I would practice it so that I knew that I wasn't coming across as being um, pushy or very um, demanding um, because I, I have a big voice anyway. And so it sometimes can come across like that. Um, absolutely bring that list of questions and concerns. And, you know, we've even, I've been in case conferences where I've been with parents and we have completely filled out that uh, concerns worksheet and we've made copies and just given them to the group and said, this is, you know, this is what we're, we're really wanting to accomplish today. And um, you, can, you can give them two minutes so that they know and that way they can bring some of those answers um, to the table already. But we want to just make sure that absolutely we're, we're ready and we're prepared to go to that case conference. So during the case conference, you absolutely, as a parent, you need to uh, make sure that you, you are being an equal member. You are a part of that, that case conference committee. Please view yourself as an equal member. Shake the hands and, and, you know, of, of people and introduce yourself. You do want to make sure that you watch that body language um, because sometimes, you know, sitting with your arms crossed or um, uh, uh, kind of being distracted or, you know, there's, there's definite body language that um, makes you look cut off, makes you, you know, whether you're, whether or not you, you, you think that it, or you, you're intending on it to be, but um, it, it can. So just be very mindful of your body language. Make your, make eye contact as much as possible. Um, when you do speak, you can lean forward and, um, because when you lean forward, it looks like you are really engaging. It's that you're showing that you are interested in what the person has to say. And so you want to try to relax. 
And that is very difficult and um, very, um, it's just very difficult to do. I have to tell you that I did not know that I did um, until I had a parent point out to me a couple weeks ago. Uh, she said that uh, she, she gets so nervous going into case conferences, but we've been in a couple case conferences already together. And she said that, she said that whenever I sit down, I take a deep breath and just kind of breathe out. And she said that she'd been, she'd been watching me do that. And so she was really starting to relax at the case conferences. And I, I, I didn't know, realize I did it until um, I was sitting in a case conference the other day and it was like, oh, I really do do that. But honestly, just taking a very long, deep breath and blowing it out and, you know, it does begin to relax you a little bit. So you know that you're not feeling, you're not so tense um, because whenever you do sit in tense meetings like that, it, your body's all tensed up. You're just hard to focus. It's hard to get done what you need to get done. I'm not saying that you're going to be able to go in and completely relax. That's not going to happen, but just try to relax as much as possible. You want to try and establish how long the meeting is going to be. Um, if it goes longer than you, than you think it is going to or expected, um, you, and, and maybe there's members that have to leave, you can ask to reconvene the case conference. Um, don't, don't be afraid to, because um, you want to remember that this is for your child and you're looking out for the best interest and everybody that's there is uh, that equal member of the team and everything they bring to the table is important as well. So now let's talk a little bit about um, once the case conference committee has been developed, it's time for it to be finalized. Um, it, the school has 10 business days to provide parents with a copy of a proposed IEP um, for your review and for your consideration. But there are some differences between the first um, or that initial IEP and a revised IEP. And up on the screen, you're going to see there side by side there is both. Um, so if it's the first IEP, the parents must provide written consent before any of those services can start. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. The school cannot do anything unless they have your consent. Um, so you do have to sign for that. Um, if for some reason there is a disagreement in the IEP, um, the, the parents need to uh, make sure the school understands that there is a disagreement, you are going to challenge the proposed IEP, and you want to get back to that case, that table as, as quickly as possible so that you can remedy any of those issues and concerns that you may have. Um, but there will be nothing started for that child until the school does have that written consent, and that's on the initial IEP. When we talk about a, a revised IEP, this is you're going in for that annual case review. Um, you're going in, this is, this is the yearly time that you go in and you discuss everything again. Um, the parents have 10 instructional days after receiving a copy of that revised IEP. So you have those 10 school days. Um, if the school's open and, and I call it uh, butts in seats, if the, if the students have their butts in the seats, that's an instructional day. If it's a snow day, that does not count. If it's um, President's Day and your school is closed, that does not count. If it's uh, over the summer and your school's closed, that doesn't count. It's instructional days. 
Today uh, Jill, can I, can, sorry, um, if your school is closed but you're doing an e-learning day, e-learning days do count. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine, that's fine. Um, and you know, this might be, on a side note, Kathy, maybe we should um, put something in parentheses or something so um, our parents realize that e-learning days on this screen. Right. That, anyway, that anyway, we can we can discuss that later. But yes, I don't. I you know what? I forget about e-learning days because my children never had e-learning days, and they're just new this year out here um, where my kids went to school. So um, thank you very much for reminding that. Um, anyway, so an e-learning day would be an instructional day. Um, if um, so, if you have those ten instructional days. If you decide that you are going to challenge the revised IEP, you, the parents, you really need to get back to the school. You need to let them know what, the, what, your, what your issues and your concerns are so that you can work through those differences so that you can get those things taken care of. If you have to reconvene the case conference, if it's just you know maybe cleaning up something in the IEP, you really need to let the school know as soon as possible because the school may implement the IEP on the on that 11th instructional day after the meeting. So you have to really be careful and make sure that you're watching those timelines, especially if it's something that you're in disagreement with. And if this is an initial case conference, you know, again, they can't start anything until after they've received your written consent. That revised IEP on the 11th instructional day, they're going to um, implement it. So you really need to be careful on those timelines. Um, sometimes you know before you even leave the case conference that you're not going to agree to it. Um, and, and it's okay to you know, say, I, I'll take it home, I've got to read through it, and you know, we'll, we'll come back to the table, um, let me you know, go through the IEP. That's okay, just remember that you have those 10 instructional days um, from the time that you receive that proposed IEP. In a, any case, any case conference committee member can submit a written opinion um, about a proposed IEP. It has to be within those 10 business days after the meeting. Um, this, it can, it can be very helpful um, um, to uh, a parent um, who is, you know, in, who is in substantial agreement with a proposed IEP that does not wish to delay the implementation, but wants to express the concerns about issues in which they are in a disagreement with the school. Um, the best way, I'll, if it's a parent and you're in disagreement, really the best way to document that is in those parental concerns. Um, you know, you can use it in the written, in the written notes that are in the, in the case conference, um, but make sure that if you do that, that your concerns are completely and clearly documented under that parental concerns within the IEP. But now anybody can provide that written opinion. Um, but again, even as a parent, you have the right to do that. But if these are really these are your parental concerns, I, I highly you know highly recommend that you get them written into that into that uh, portion of the IEP. Um, I have there's been. A, for some reason, that's been an issue over the last couple months with some of my parents is 
not being able to get their concerns into that portion of the IEP. So um, I have really changed up the way that I um, am working with my parents and making sure that we have everything captured. And um, whenever we go to the case conference, that is something that um, I'm really focusing, helping the parents focus on. No, these are my concerns. I, I need for you to understand what my concerns are. Um, anyway, so uh, let's go back to the written opinion. Um, this is a good way to document those issues and concerns. Um, that this is not part of the IEP, and I need for you to understand that this goes into the student's school file. It does not get attached to the IEP, um, but it does uh, go into their file. So if you would ever get a copy of your child's educational file, it would be housed within there. But again, that written opinion is so that um, it can document those issues and concerns. Um, it, it, just like the screen says, it can be a very good reference point for any of those proposed services. If there's some gaps or omissions, and maybe there's some suggestions that were not implemented, um, but you feel like that that written opinion would be able to clearly outline those suggestions for those improvements. And then, you know, there's nothing saying that you can't go back to that document and say, you know, now the last time we met, these were these were some of my suggestions and um, they didn't get put into the IEP. Do you want to maybe talk about them now? I mean, there's a whole lot of things that you can do with it. But again, as a parent, try to make sure that you get your uh, concerns under that parental concerns component of the IEP. So implementing the IEP. Again, if it's an initial IEP, you, the parent, you have to find that, you have to sign that uh, written consent before those services can start. Um, it must be implemented no later than 10 school days um, after they receive that written parental consent. And the reason why is um, sometimes it takes a, a few days to get some of those things put into place. So the school does have up to that 10 school days to, um, to provide that. Um, in a revised IEP, the written consent is not required. Again, it's implemented on that 11th day um, after the proposed IEP has been given to the parent unless they um, are going to challenge the IEP or maybe you've already uh, given, um, you're already told them that you're in agreement, excuse me, and they can go ahead and implement it. Most schools that I work with are going to still ask you to sign um, but it's not something that is required. Um, written, written consent is not required anymore for that um, revised IEP. We do have a complaint process, and I need for you to understand that a complaint is a matter of fact. Um, and so if you have a um, child with an IEP and you feel like that maybe the school is not doing something that's written into that IEP, that IEP, you can you look at it and say, yep, there's, there it is, it's written into the IEP and it's not being done, well, that's considered to be a matter of fact. So what would be the best thing to do before filing a complaint? Honestly, if I get a phone call and the parent says that um, uh, the school is not following the IEP and, and you know, uh, just like Kathy, when she said earlier, she's going to, you know, she says, how do you know that? And that's exactly what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, how do you know that? Let's talk about the evidence. Let's talk about 
um, what's going on. And um, so we'll go through that. But I am honestly going to say, probably at the end of our conversation, before we file a complaint, let's get back to the case conference. Can we reconvene that case conference one more time? Um, that's just going to be, you know, trying to keep together that um, relationship to preserve that. Um, but if you decide that you want to file a formal complaint, the Department of Ed, um, they will, uh, uh, there is an online complaint form through iChamp um, that you can, you can download a, uh, from there a copy of the um, complaint form and um, fill it out and it goes back in. And I say that's so easy, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, you still have to, to um, go through it. You still have to write their complaint. What you feel is, is been, uh, what they, you feel like they've done wrong. And um, also you would want to have some sort of a resolution. But you're gonna file the complaint if you feel like the school does not implement or follow the IEP. Um, you can also file the complaint if, the, if they're not following the requirements of Article 7, which is the Indiana Special Education Laws. So when we talk about resolving those disputes, we know that good communication is always gonna be the best way to avoid those um, uh, disagreements. We know that our students, our kids have better outcomes when we work together. And um, we know that as when we're partners, um, that's just the, the way it really works out the best. Um, we know that again, if, if we have a difference, let's try to get back to the table. Let's try to get back to, to the um, case conference committee and you know, try and, and resolve it on that lowest level possible. Again, uh, we, we just want to try and get those things worked out. You know, the school, the school, the, the schools and parents, you know, again, they, they work better when they try and work their differences out. But there is, you know, as a parent, you do have the right to due process. You have a law that provides for that formal dispute resolution. Um, but again, I'm going to always ask to try and go to that lowest level possible and, and let's reconvene that case conference. Um, a way to can be to um, meet with the staff, reconvene that case conference. You might want to meet with your special education director. Um, you may want to ask for mediation or due process. Um, it just depends upon what you feel like is in your best interest. There is the facilitated IEP meeting, and before we would go to uh, mediation or due process, I may ask you, you know, if you were calling me, can, do you want to try and get back and do a facilitated IEP meeting? Um, that way we can try and resolve these before it goes any further. And again, it's really what you feel like as a parent is your um, best interest, what you feel like is the, that would work out best for you and your family. Um, so really, in, in summary, we're going to, you know, work together. Um, please be confident in your role as a parent. Remember, you are an equal member of that case conference committee. Uh, prepare your thoughts and concerns. Um, you can write them down. Um, practice them in the mirror, you know, whatever you need to do so that you're prepared for that case conference. Please always treat others with respect and expect the same in return. Um, know what your options are if you cannot agree at a meeting. Know that you have a right for uh, mediation. Um, due process, 
You have a right to have um, a case conference, a facilitated case conference. You can reconvene these um, case conferences at any time. Um, so know what your options are um, if you can't agree. This does bring us to the end of our, um, our please, I don't see any questions in our question and answer box. Feel free to put some in there, but before we do go, I would like to talk to you a little bit about our parent support volunteer program. And um, this does help you in growing your knowledge and skills um, while helping other parents. You would help Kel uh, Kelsey, I'm so sorry. Kathy and I out together. Um, Kathy um, has her um, parent support volunteer uh, uh, volunteers in her area that, that help her. Um, mine, um, I'm, they help me with workshops and fairs and um, they even attend case conferences um, so that they can help support parents. Um, we do have online train, ongoing training and support. There's a newsletter. Um, it does help to build your strength as an advocate. We have social events and um, it helps to have other parents that you can talk to. If you have any questions or comments or anything, please feel free to contact our in-source office at 800-332-4433. If you have um, any, if you'd like to email us, you can email at insource at insource.org. You can find us on Twitter, you can find us on Facebook, um, please visit our website um, at insource.org. Um, there is other trainings that are archived there under webinars. There is um, just a lot of information. There's our parent handbook you can download. Um, please feel free to um, peruse our Facebook or our um, website. Um, and again, I don't see any questions. Kathy, um, do you have any that may have been posted to you by? any chance or anything? No, no, I'm, I'm not seeing any additional ones, but so we'll, we'll go ahead and conclude. I'd like to thank you for joining us for today's uh, webinar. And please remember, you'll be getting a survey um, of this particular topic. And we really hope that we'll hear from you. Question number six provides a link to your certificate of attendance. If you'd like that, if you're listening only by telephone and you haven't plugged into the computer program and you're only hearing us, please contact insource at insource.org or call 800-332-4433 by end of business day today to let staff know that you did attend the webinar and that you would like to, to get that certificate and they can, um, they can make that happen for you. Jill and I don't do the certificate, so we're not much help, unfortunately, <laughs> not, not, not on that end. Just a couple of things. I'm really excited about our upcoming webinars. March 3rd, we've got um, the Academic Outcomes for Students Educated in Inclusive Settings. We've got Sandy Cole from Indiana University that's going to present on that topic, a study that IU did about outcomes for kids with disabilities being in general education classrooms. So I'm really excited about that. And then Ashley Quick is going to present on March 17th, the case for presuming competence in students with disabilities. And the point is well made that we tend to presume incompetence for kids with disabilities. We often assume that they can't 
do well academically and they can't do well in gen ed settings. And so she is going to take us through that particular discussion about maybe we should presume that they're competent, at least until we find out otherwise. And then um, April 7th, Jill and I are going to present um, understanding the importance of inclusion. So we're kind of doing a series on inclusion for students with disabilities. And we'll talk about why it's so important that kids with disabilities are included with their typical peers to the maximum extent appropriate. So we hope that you'll join us for the, the next three webinars. If you go to our um, in, go to our website, insource.org, and click on webinars. I know we've got at least one, the next one that I believe you can register for at this time. The other ones, they'll come up as they get scheduled, I guess. But please keep an eye open for that, and I do hope that you'll join us um, for those. We're, we're pretty excited about that. Well, thank you so much for um, joining us today, folks, and we hope that you'll join us again in a couple of weeks, and I hope you all have a fabulous day. Thank you. Thank you very much.